Are we living in the last days? People are looking around at the events of the world and they're asking, what is going on? And that is exactly what we're going to talk about in today's edition of Awakened to Grace. My name is Chad Roberts, and today we're going to walk through the all-important chapter of Mark chapter 13. And this is where Jesus, three times, is going to tell us, stay awake, be on guard. And Jesus told his followers, he said, what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Well, we're going to talk today about how a Christian should view the events that we're watching unfold in the world. And friends, we're going to see how the Bible is a step ahead of every bit of it because the Bible predicts it all. We are living in exciting days. And when you understand the Word of God, when you understand that God is in sovereign control of everything going on in the world today, well, you know what it's going to cause us to do? Exactly what Jesus told us to do. Look up. For our redemption is drawing nigh. Well, today we're going to be in Mark chapter 13. We're in a greater series called Walking with Jesus. And I hope you are walking through the pages of the gospel of Mark with us. If you've missed any of our series, then I want to encourage you to download my free mobile app, Awakened to Grace. And if you would like, you could visit our website, awakentograce.com. You can go to the sermon section. You can go to the podcast section where you never miss a sermon. Hundreds of free sermons, life-changing content right at your fingertips. Well, today we're going to go to God's Word. We're in Mark chapter 13, and I believe you are going to gain a world of hope, a world of confidence for living in the days that you and I are living today. I hope you enjoyed today's edition of Awakened to Grace. Well, let's go to Mark chapter 13 today. We've been in a series since January, marching through the gospel of Mark. And today we come to such an important chapter. I want to walk you by God's grace through chapter 13. You pray for me as you know. I'm blind and I cannot see the text, so I do my best to memorize. And I want to walk you through a number of passages today. And I've got it all locked up in the vault. I just The scriptures are the combination to get it out. So you pray I get the right combinations today. I love Mark chapter 13. However, I want to argue today my case that I believe that Matthew 24 and Mark 13 are different scriptures than Luke chapter 21. What have we learned through our gospel of Mark? We've learned Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called what gospels? Hey, you're on it. Synoptic gospels. What does synoptic mean? Syn, S-Y-N. It's where we get our English word, synonym, the same. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's the same content, many the same stories, but optic. Perspective, vision, optical. 
It's from a different lens, a different view. The same content from a different perspective. And I am of the persuasion that when you examine Mark 13 and Matthew 24, 25, those are the same, that, I should say that is the same audience, but I believe the audience of Luke 21 is a different audience. And so one of my main goals today as we walk through this scripture, is to show you why I believe when Jesus says, this generation shall not pass until they see these things fulfilled. What does he mean? I believe Jesus is speaking about one generation in Matthew 24 and Mark 13, and he's speaking to a whole different generation in Luke chapter 21. And I'm going to show you biblically why I believe that. Now, I want to talk as we begin to think about Mark 13. I want to talk to you about the days in which we are living. The key verse for chapter 13 is verse 33. <coughs> Jesus <coughs> is going to say to his people... Be on guard. As a matter of fact, you may want to write this next to your chapter. He's going to say be on guard on three separate occasions in chapter 13 alone. Be on guard. Stay awake because you do not know the hour that he's coming. Verse 37, the last verse of the chapter. He's going to say, what I say to you, I say to all. Stay awake. I don't know about you, but that just sends a shiver down my spine. I think stay awake. That means the potential is that we will fall asleep. That means that the word for the church of our day, the word for the church of this hour is do not grow drowsy. Or we may say this, don't grow distracted. But stay on guard. Stay awake. What a word for this hour. There's something that I'm greatly concerned about for our culture. And that is called a normalcy bias. Anyone ever heard of the term normalcy bias? A normalcy bias is someone who says, well, things are bad, but they're not going to get worse. Things have never been this bad, but I don't think they're going to get any worse than they are. Friends, a normalcy bias is why those precious and poor Jews of Nazis Germany did not leave. When they began to target Jews and they began to close their shops, they began to ban them from churches, when they made them wear the golden star of David, many of those poor and precious people said, things are bad, but they're not going to get worse. Friends, the normalcy bias is why those poor and precious people of New Orleans didn't leave when Katrina struck. They had every warning. They knew the potential. They knew the danger. But what did they say? They said, the levees have never broke. Normalcy bias. 
those poor and precious people of the Ukraine that we pray so fervently for right now today. And by the way, I've done a special teaching, a 40-minute teaching. We purchased a website domain called RussiasEndGame.com. I want you to note that because it airs Friday. Uh, I'm sorry, that's not right. Don't write that down. It airs Wednesday. Everybody say Wednesday. Wednesday. April 6th. We've taken an ad out in the paper. And April 6th, Wednesday, it's going to go live. Russia's endgame.com. See, we know what's happening. No one can figure out what Putin's thinking. No, we know what. You know why we know what's happening? Because Scripture tells us. We are children of the day, not children of the night. Back on point. Why do those poor and precious people of Ukraine not leave? Beginning in October, they began to watch Russian troops mount their borders. Friends, they had October. They had November. They had December. They had January. And they had February. And what did most everyone in the Ukraine say? Oh, this has always been a threat. Saber rattling. They've always done this. Normalcy bias. Things are bad, but they've never gotten worse. May I propose to you the church of Jesus Christ? How bad have things gotten in the last five years in our culture? How bad have things gotten in the last 10 years? In the last 20 years? And yet here we are today, and yet we're saying as a church, things are bad, but they're not going to get worse. Friends, that's a normalcy bias. And you and I need to have the spiritual vision. We should have the spiritual understanding that Satan is on an absolute rampage right now. And the world and the culture cannot afford for us to be silent. Cannot afford for us to stick our head in the sand. No, you and I should be in the public square with trumpets blasting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Not politics. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And you and I cannot stick our head in the sand. You and I cannot pretend like we're not losing ground that's already been won. You and I have got to take these things head on. In other words, what Jesus said, we must be on guard and we must stay awake. What in the world is Disney doing right now? What are they doing? What? I'll tell you exactly what they're doing. Matter of fact, when we come to verse 12, I'm really going to tell you what they're doing. So don't let me forget that. It's in the vault, but help me get it out. What are we seeing? What is happening? What is going on in the world? Listen, we're not children of the night. We're children of the day. And Jesus has told us all of these things. None of this should shock us. But here's what is the danger for the church. To watch Disney, who many of us give a lot of money to, And to have a normalcy bias 
and say, oh, it's bad, but it's not going to get worse. Wrong, 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 wrong. We better be on guard and we better wake up. Romans 13, 11 says it is high time. Amen. Amen. Romans 13, 11 says it is high time to wake up. And let me warn you, my precious church, let me tell our flock this. Many of us with our children, we're like the poor and precious people of Ukraine. We're watching the enemy mount. Come on now, somebody get with me right now. We're watching the enemy mount. And we're sitting in our homes and going, no, no. And saber rattling. It's not going to get any worse. No. We better heed the words of Jesus. When we come to Mark chapter 13, I want you to understand Jesus again is going to reference the temple. We began with the triumphal entry in chapter 11 a couple of weeks ago. He came from the Mount of Olives, entered Jerusalem, came into the temple. And what did he do? He cleansed the temple. And we talked about the significance of that. We saw that he cursed the fig tree. We linked that to the temple. You hear me talk so often in these end time passages about the destruction of Jerusalem by the Roman general Titus in 70 AD. And I'm going to reference that again because I want to show you it's part of the fulfillment of what Jesus said. This generation shall not pass in Luke 21. And I'm going to link that and I'm going to show you all of that, God willing, crystal clear. But here's what you and I need to understand for our text right now in Mark 13. Jesus is coming out of the temple, verse 1. He is leaving the temple. And he's at the Mount of Olives, which is opposite of the temple. And he's going to teach his disciples privately. Verse number 3 tells us, well, verse 1 and 2. One of the disciples says, and you can hear the nationalistic pride in this, in this verse, he says, look, teacher, what marvelous stones, what wonderful stones and buildings. And Jesus said, I'm telling you, not one stone's going to be left upon the other. This whole thing is coming down. Remember what he do? He cursed the fig tree at its root. So we know in verse 3, and we're going to be very sensitive to this, his audience in verse number 3 is a private teaching. It is a private audience with Peter, James, John, and Andrew. So you need to take note of that. Matthew's account and Mark's account. It's nighttime. They're on the Mount of Olives. It's night and is a private audience. This is called the Olivet Discourse. Many Bible commentators link the Matthew 24 Olivet Discourse the Mark 13 Olivet Discourse, and they link that to Luke 21, and they make it the same, they say it's the same discourse. I'm going to argue differently. According to Luke 21, his audience is the people in the temple. He is teaching in the morning, not at night, in the temple, and the audience is far different. Therefore, I'm going to show you when we get to verse 30, 
I believe that when Jesus says, this generation shall not pass, it is a different generation in Luke 21 than it is in Mark 13. And I will show you biblically, I believe, the difference. So we understand that he's at the Mount of Olives, which he will return to at his second coming. It's highly, highly significant. We understand that it's night and he's teaching his four disciples privately, according to verse 3. They're in a private conversation. And then the disciples are going to ask what every Christian always asks. This is the age-old question. Verse 4, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming? Are people not asking the same thing today? Have you not asked the same thing lately? Friends, we're just coming out of this global pandemic. And now we're entering into such a conflict that has the potential. Look what China is threatening with Taiwan. The, the potential. Look at Iran and Israel. Look at the instability of the U.S. dollar and oil. Look at all that we're watching on the global landscape. And are we not asking the same question? What's the sign of His coming? Jesus is going to begin to teach us. Let's walk through it and let's understand from the scriptures. Verse 5 is something you need to link to the last days. In verse 5, Jesus is going to say, Take heed, be on guard, that you are not deceived. I want you to understand this. Whenever Jesus in the Bible references the last days, there is a common thread through all of the teachings of the last days all throughout the Bible. And do you know what that thread is? It is deception. And my friends, are we not living in a day of unprecedented deception? I mean, crying out loud, we have a Supreme Court justice getting ready to come to the bench who can't even define what a woman is. Do you know what that's called? That's called two plus two equals five. And people are believing it. It is deception. And what is going to mark this generation? Deception. And Jesus said, this is one of the keys. This is what you look for. This is what you be on guard for. Don't be deceived. And where is the church being deceived right now? Normalcy bias. Oh, things are bad. But they're not going to get worse. Don't be deceived. Verses 7 and 8, Jesus said, you're going to hear of wars. You're going to see nation rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. You'll hear wars and rumors of wars. But listen, he said, these things, listen, the end's not yet. These are the beginnings of sorrows. This is the beginning of what does he say? Birth pains. I would say we've had some pretty strong Braxton Hicks Contractions lately, wouldn't you? And what is very interesting about birth pain, it grows. And what does birth pain grow in? It grows in frequency. Are we seeing global events on a more frequent 
escalation? Is everything not a crisis today? <laughs> you know I'm telling you the truth, right? I mean, you, you see it, right? You watch this stuff, right? Birth pains grow in frequency and they grow in intensity. Would that not describe our world today? Crises are growing in frequency and in intensity. Why? Because these are birth pains. It's exactly what Jesus said they would be. Verse number 12 I find highly interesting. Particularly this week. We are all watching what's going on in Florida. We are seeing that this new law that they have passed where it is a parent's rights law. And have you seen the duck dying fit that Disney's throwing? Why? See, I don't care your politics. I want to know what is Satan doing in the earth. I want to know what's his agenda. That's what I want to know. I don't care if you're blue or red or some other color. I don't care. I want to know what is Satan doing. Why is this administration coming out as they did this week on issues like transgenderism and saying this is a hill that we will die on? Why are they doing this? Do you know why? Because, listen to what Jesus said in verse 12. Brother's going to come against brother, father against child. And look what it says. And children will rise against parents. Do you know the agenda taking place? See, if Satan can separate children from the values of their parents, then he has them. And how easy is it going to be when this godless and this wicked spirit of this age separates our children from their parents' values? How easy is it going to be for verse 12 to be fulfilled? That children will rise against their parents. Friends, I believe you and I are watching Scripture unfold in more ways than we are even aware of. But what are we doing? We're watching our favorite shows. We're browsing our internets. We're shopping on our Amazons. And we're letting the spirit of this age take over. It ought not be. Would you say amen to that? Amen. So say, Chad, what do you do? You follow verse 33. You be on guard. You stay awake. That's what Christ tells us to do. Now, verse 12, he says, children will rise against their parents. Now, Jesus is taking us into uh, this prophetic time called the seven-year tribulation. Is it okay if I just teach for a moment? Yeah. <clears throat> The seven-year tribulation. I want you to look at verse number... Oh, come on, Chad. Where are we in the text? 14. Look at verse 14. 
Jesus is going to use a Bible word that I want to explain to you very clearly that you understand this. He's going to use a Bible word that is rooted in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. If you're going to be a serious student of the word, and particularly if you're going to be a serious student of end-time prophecy, and you're going to understand it because there is some crazy, crazy stuff out there. You've got to be very careful what, what you, how you interpret Scripture. And if you're going to be serious about these matters, it is imperative that you understand Daniel 9, 24, 25, 26, and 27. Those verses are imperative to having a clear understanding of the last days. If you want to go back and listen to the sermon I did, I did it a number of months ago in our Revelation study. It's in the part one section of, um, of our Revelation series. I'm trying to remember what the name of that series was, part one. Um, I can't recall the name of it. It's on the Awakened to Grace app. It's in part one, and it's a sermon called Daniel's 70 Weeks. It is the absolute key to unlocking your knowledge of prophecy. And Daniel, in verse 27, talks about this abomination of desolation. And Christ is going to reference it in Matthew 24 and in Mark 13. Okay? So let's take the key and let's unlock this. Abomination in the Bible simply means idolatry. An abomination is idol worship. It is idolatry. The abomination of desolation is a global event. It is when this this future world leader, this antichrist, who's going to have the ability to bring the world together, he's going to bring governments together like no one in human history has ever done. Revelation 6 says that he's the rider on the first of the four horses of the apocalypse, the white horse. He's going to come with a bow, but no arrows. What's Scripture telling us? He's going to be a false peace. He's going to come with diplomacy. Oh, friends, he's going to use words. He's going to be smooth, as smooth can be. And he is going to bring peace to the Middle East. He'll convince Israel to trade their security for peace. And he'll do what no U.S. president has ever nor will ever be able to do. And that's bring peace to the Middle East. And when this Antichrist comes on the scene, there is going to be, according to Daniel 9 and many other scriptures. And here in our text, it's uh, Mark 13, um, verse 19 and verse 24. Those scriptures, 23. It is this time period called the seven-year tribulation. But more importantly than the seven-year tribulation, it's broken into two halves. One is three and a half years of false peace. The other half is three and a half years of what Jesus calls the great tribulation. And the Bible in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, and the Bible in the New Testament is, uses the precise Same clear language. It's called time, times, and half a time. Well, what does that mean? It means the last three and a half years. 42 months, 1,260 days. 
The Bible could not be any more clear in what it teaches. It uses time, times, half a time, 42 months, 1260 days, all consistent, all throughout both Testaments. It is the most documented period of human history. And it's still to come. And yet it's the most documented. And Jesus tells us exactly what to look for and what to expect. So here's what he's going to teach us. He says, when you see, verse 14. Now you should note this, when you see. When the temple is going to be built, and it will be built, my personal belief is, right now, what stands on the former temple site in the day of Jesus, right now, what stands there is the Muslim Dome of the Rock. Now how in the world will the Muslims ever give up their Dome of the Rock? But you know who I believe will make it happen? The Antichrist. I believe the world will be so starved for peace. I believe he'll work a deal. And the Bible calls it the 42-month covenant. The Bible calls it this peace treaty. And I believe they'll work a deal. And what stands as the dome of the rock will be this temple. And what the Bible teaches is that in the last three and a half years, at the midway point, Daniel 9, 27... What is going to happen? Jesus says, when you see the abomination of desolation take place, what is that? The Antichrist, the world ruler, will walk into the temple. He'll walk into the Holy of Holies. And only one man, once a year, the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. And what will he do? He'll set up an image. The word abomination means idolatry. The term abomination of desolation is the highest insult to God Almighty. And it is to go into the Holy of Holies and set up self-worship. Now, there's a phrase here that I want you to pay, I want you to be sensitive to this. The Bible is telling the reader, Jesus says, let the reader understand. When you see this, well, how will anyone see it? If no one can go into the Holy of Holies, how will people see it? Do you know how the whole world will see it? Global satellite television. This is a technology statement in the Bible. When you see this, when you see the abomination of desolation happen, then that's when you're in the last three and a half years of all of human history. It's fascinating. And Jesus tells us about it all. So he's going to go into verse 25 and 26 and 27, what his coming is going to be. That's when the second coming is going to take place. Then he's going to say, and, I, and this is where I find the text so fascinating. Verse number 30 uh, no, before I, uh, let, let, me, let me just make mention of the fig tree because this is important. Jesus said, when you, see the, when you see the leaves come on the fig tree, you know that summer is near. Now, now that's important because remember in chapter 11, he cursed a fig tree at its root. And remember he said it was large and it had all these leaves, but he could find no fruit. And then the Bible says the oddest statement, and we broke it all down several weeks ago. 
He said it was not in season. So why did Jesus expect to find fruit in a fig tree when it wasn't seasoned? This is why. Because even when the leaves began to show, there should have been these round marble-sized buds. And they're edible. And we know, even in Israel today, when does the fig tree bloom? They began to grow leaves in March and April. They began to grow their fruit in May and June. Now, why is that significant? Jesus should have saw the little round marbles. But what was seen was a big fig tree with only leaves. In other words, it was big, it was showy, it looked great, but it was fruitless. He's saying the same of religion. He's saying the same of the temple. It's big, it's showy, it looks great, but in reality, there's no fruit. It's unfruitful. And he cursed it at its root. And we explain how that meant the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. And I'm going to tie it all together in just a moment. So he says, when you see the leaves on the fig tree, when the, when the branch becomes tender and it bears its leaf, you know that summer is near. What's he saying? It bears its leaves in March, in March and April. The fruit comes in May and June. You can look at a fig tree and you can discern the seasons. He said in the same way, when you see all these things taking place, when you see the intensity and the frequency of the birth pains, here's what you know. Christ is at the very gate. He's about to come. Friends, we're seeing these things like never before. Literally. Like never before. And Jesus predicts it all. Now in verse 30, and this is the question I want to answer today. What does Jesus mean when he says, this generation shall not pass? I want you to draw a couple of distinctions. In Luke 21, and I just want you to note this for your knowledge of the Bible. In Luke 21, boy this is so fascinating. Lord help me to get all this out. I'm about to burst. I got, I got, oh, I got all this in me, and I, I, I want to make sure I get this out. In Luke 21, now remember, his audience is different. He's in the temple in the morning teaching a crowd. In the Olivet Discourse, he's on the Mount of Olives at night teaching Peter, James, John, and Andrew. Two different times of the day, two different audiences, two different generations. He says in Luke 21, this generation will not pass when they see this. Now, I want you to note this. He says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded, when you see armies surround Jerusalem, flee, get out of the city. That happened in 70 AD. Rome besieged Jerusalem. Vespasian, Nero, the emperor Nero had just died. Vespasian replaced him. Vespasian is the man who built the Roman Colosseum that still stands today. And he left his son Titus in charge. And the general Titus, listen to what the historian Josephus tells us. He slaughtered with the sword 1.5 million Jews. Now say amen if you're with me right now because you can't miss this. This is very important to understanding the Bible. When Jerusalem was crushed in 70 AD by a prince, a prince named 
Titus. That fulfilled Daniel 9, 25 and 26. When Christ died and Jerusalem 38 years was crushed, Israel stopped being a state. The nation of Israel was over. There was no temple, no Judaism. It was over. Here's what I want you to understand. When this happened, Josephus tells us that many, many Jews who were Christians, they escaped. They got out of the city. Do you know why? Because that crowd that day that heard Jesus teach this, they remembered what Jesus said when Rome surrounded the city. They got out of the city and their lives were spared. I believe when Jesus said to this audience in the temple, this generation will not pass until you see these things. What things? The fall, the destruction of Jerusalem. Why is that important? Because here's what Jesus says in verse 21. Until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. What is the time of the Gentiles? That's from the destruction of Jerusalem until the rapture of the church. That's the time of the Gentile church. Do you understand what I'm saying? When the rapture of the church happens and the church is caught up, harpazo, we're gone, caught up in the air to meet the Lord. Then God's agenda goes back to his people, the Jews. And you know what's going to happen when the abomination of desolation takes place? The blindness on Israel, Romans 11. The scales are going to fall from Israel's eyes. And they're going to see Jesus as their Messiah. What Jesus is telling us, he is going to bookend I want you to understand me. He is putting bookends on world history. And he's saying the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70, it's going to happen 38 years after Christ predicts it. That's going to, be, that's going to begin the time of the Gentiles. And he's saying this generation will not pass until they see it. Until they see what? The destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of Israel, the state of Israel gone. And then God is going to have a Gentile bride, which goes back to Ruth and Boaz. and a Gen Oh, it all goes so deep. Now he's going to bookend what he said to the first generation of the church. Get out of the city. Go flee. Spare your life. He's going to book into the last generation. And now in Matthew 24 and Mark 13, he's going to say, when you see these things, this generation will not pass until you see what? The abomination of desolation. And see, here's another key critical part of the text. When the horrendous tragedy of the destruction of Jerusalem happened in AD 70, Rome killed 1.5 million Jews. But friends, that was not a drop in the bucket in the bucket compared to Hitler's Nazism. Millions were slaughtered. Let me show you the difference between Matthew 24 and Mark 13. 
Jesus says of the great tribulation, there has never been a time like it. That includes 70 AD. That includes Hitler's Germany. There has never been a time like it, and nor will there ever be a time like it again. And it's so severe, Jesus said, had the days not been cut short, humanity won't survive. That is jaw-dropping, friends. And literally, do you know what the Lord Jesus Christ is telling us? He is saying, the first generation will not pass until his words are fulfilled. And now he's saying the last generation will not pass until his words are fulfilled. And now look at what a bombshell verse 31 is. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the words of Jesus will not. His words are faithful and true. Will this generation today, the generation that has walked through COVID, the generation that has survived a global pandemic, will this generation that is watching extremism like never before, will this generation that is watching what I believe is going to be global inflation like never before, oh, here's just a tidbit. I teach in the Russia teaching the special presentation called Russia's Endgame. When does it air? Wednesday, not Friday. Very good. And I teach in there. Do you remember in our study of Revelation chapter 6, do you remember that the Bible says with the four horsemen of the apocalypse, it is the white horse, which is false peace. It is the red horse, which is war. It is the black horse, which is what? Famine and hyperinflation. That one loaf of bread will cost one day's wage. And what did he say? Don't hurt the oil and the wine. But what is harmed? The barley and the what? The wheat. And Google it for yourself. Ukraine is one of the largest exports of wheat and barley in the world. And because of the conflict right now, no crops are being planted. Russia exports 25% of the world's fertilizer and everything's banned. Friends, the stage is set like never before. Down to verse 12, children will rise against their parents. Friends, we better... Be on guard. We better get awake because time is wrapping up. Can we say amen today? Verse 32, and I'll let, let, let me work my way through verse 32, and then we'll, we'll begin to wrap up. Verse 32, Jesus said, now concerning that day and that hour, no man knows. So you need to take that to heart. You need to understand. If you ever hear anyone set dates, they are a false prophet. It is heresy at the highest level. You should turn a deaf ear to it. Date setters, no, 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 no. We can understand seasons. Jesus taught that in the fig tree. But we are not to set dates. I tell, I tell you how I live. I prepare and what do you mean prepare? 
the, the Bible says, divide your portions to seven to eight because you don't know the calamity that's going to come up on the earth. Somebody give me a time check. What time is it? Oh, okay. I'm okay. I'm all right. I got a couple minutes. Dusty Buckles was so sweet a couple weeks ago. You know, I preached forever. And the next Sunday, Dusty said, oh, Pastor Chad, she said, I could sit and listen to you all day. I said, you about did. <laughs> we, we about made it. <laughs> I'll not do that today. <clears throat> I prepare. I prepare like I'm going to live for 100 years. What's that mean? I have an IRA. I'm well insured. I believe in having a very robust food supply. I prepare like I'm going to live for 100 years. But I live like the trumpet is going to sound this hour. That's how we are to live. And Jesus said, you don't know the day and you don't know the hour. Now, he says something interesting. He says, neither... Do the angels in heaven know, nor the Son of Man? Now, let me ask you a question. Does that mean that Jesus, when he walked the earth, did not know when he was going to return? Yes, I believe that. Now, how is that possible? Because Jesus is 100% God, and he was also 100% man. He was deity, robed in flesh. But listen to what Paul said in Philippians. Paul said that Christ lowered himself. He humbled himself. And listen to what he said. He did not think equality with God a thing to be grasped. So apparently, according to his words here, at this point, he didn't know when he was going to return. Is that true today? I don't think so. And why do I not think so? I believe when Christ accomplished his task on the earth and he ascended to heaven, he was glorified. He now sat down at the right hand of the Father. I believe he now well knows when he's going to return. Because what does Revelation 1-1 say? He brought John. Who was John? Who was in the private teaching on the Mount of Olives? Peter? James, John, and Andrew. Who was the last living disciple on the earth? John. And Jesus brought him to heaven. And here's what he said. To show him the things that must soon come. Oh, that's what Revelation part 1 was called. Things to come. There you go. I'm pretty sure. You can look it up. And he brought him up to showing the things that must soon come, the things that must soon take place, to tell his servants. John was the last remaining disciple. Jesus, once and for all, answered their questions from the Mount of Olives. He answered in the book of Revelation. And you know who else are his servants? Us today. And that's why you can read it. And that's why you can understand it by the Spirit of God. Amen? All right. Now, you may put your trays in their upright positions because we're about to land this plane. Verse, if verse 30, we understand what that means now. 
This generation shall not pass. What generation? The one that sees the abomination of desolation. The one that's on the earth during the seven-year tribulation, the last three and a half years, the 42 months, the 1260 days, the time times, half a time. Do you get what Scripture's saying? That generation will not pass until all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth will pass, but the words of Jesus are that secure, they're that eternal. No one knows the day. So live like you're going to live for 100 years. Prepare like you're going to live for 100 years. But live like the trumpet's going to sound this very hour. Now, what does verse 33 say? Here's the conclusion. Here is the whole point. Here is our marching orders. Be on guard. Stay awake because you don't know the hour. Are you on guard today? Are you paying attention today? Are you living right today? If you really believe Jesus was literally at the gates, what would change in your life? What would change? What would change? You know, the rapture is designed for two reasons. One, to surprise Satan. He has no idea. You know, people have always tried to figure out who's the Antichrist. The church back in the 30s thought Hitler was the Antichrist. And guess what? He was an Antichrist. But see, because Satan has no idea when Jesus is coming, do you know he has to have a man prepared in every generation? He has to. He has no idea when Jesus is coming. The purpose of the rapture is to surprise Satan. Number two is to purify the church. First John says, everyone who hopes in his coming thus purifies himself. What would purify in your life if you really believed Jesus was near? What would you change? Who would you forgive? What bitterness would you let go of? How would your marriage be different? What would you do different today if you believe he was coming tomorrow? Friends, I believe his coming is potentially that near. Do you live like it? Be on guard. Stay awake. Don't let your life get distracted. And don't let your spiritual life get drowsy. Stay awake. Christ is coming. Let's stand. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. What needs to change in your life today? What sin do you need to forsake? What laziness do you need to kick to the curb? I'm telling you, God is dealing with me in so many areas. God is showing me. Chad, you, you think this way. You, you allow this in your life because you, you don't believe I'm near. If you really believe that the master of the house was near, <coughs> you'd be on guard. You wouldn't let that creep into your home. You wouldn't allow that in your thought life. If you really believed it. Oh, Holy Spirit, purify us. Purify us. Purify us. What do you need to let go of today? 
Some of you are right where you want to be in your career. But you're asleep spiritually. Some of you finally got the home that you desired, but you're asleep. Some of you this year, you'll do that vacation you've dreamed of. But you're asleep. Friends, I'm not saying those things are wrong. They're not. They're blessings from God. But not at the expense of drowsiness. Not at that expense. Don't let the cares of this life cost you the greatest rewards of eternity. Stay awake. Be on guard. Some of you need to come to the altar today. Some of you need to bring your home to the altar today. You need to bring your children, your parenting to the altar today. Some of you allow your children to do ungodly things. Some of you have opened the front door to the enemy. Some of you got your windows open, you got the back door open, you got the garage door open, and the enemy is walking right into your children's rooms. And he's stealing their souls. And all the while, you're on your tablet. And all the while, you're on your phone. Oblivious to Satan's agenda. You need to come today and put your home on the altar. You need to come today and say, God, shake me out of my sleep. Awaken me. I remove the drowsiness. I remove the distractions. And I put my marriage on the altar. I put my teenagers on the altar. I put my grandchildren on the altar. Satan will not have them. You come right now if you need to pray. You say, God, I close every door in the name of Jesus. I stand guard today like I've never stood guard. I stand guard today over my home. I stand guard today over my covenant. I stay guard. I, I'm standing guard over my wife and over my husband. I stand guard. Satan, you'll not have it. Shake yourself. Wipe the sleep out of your spiritual eyes. Take literal the words of Jesus. Be on guard. Be on guard. God, there's a spirit of this age and it desires our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. There's a spirit of this age and it desires to oppose the work of God. But we resist it with all we have in the name of the Lord. We resist it. We resist it. Shake us, God, out of this normalcy bias. Shake us out of our complacency. Give us a spiritual fervor like we've never known. Awake us in the middle of the night to pray. Let us forsake our televisions. And our movie theaters, let us forsake them for a move of God like we've never known. 
Let us turn from our wicked ways in the name of Jesus. And be on guard. Satan, may the Lord rebuke you. May the Lord rebuke you. This spirit of transgenderism, this spirit of confusion, we rebuke it in the name of the Lord today from coast to coast. In every college, in every high school, in every middle school, and for God's sake in every elementary school, we rebuke it in the name of the Lord. We rebuke it. It's time we go to war. It's time we stand in the public square. It's time we say, let God be truth and every man a liar. It is high time that we awake. High time. High time.